This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the show. You know I appreciate it. This one features Kyle Castronovo. He's a superb multi-instrumentalist, but primarily a drummer. He's done time with Wednesday 13. He's got a black metal project, which may soon see the light of day, but something else, he is rock and metal royalty. His father is Dean Castronovo, who is one of the greatest rock and metal drummers of all time. Don't believe me, go across to Wikipedia or any other place where his list of accomplishments can be found because Dean's certainly done it. If chances are, even if you don't know Dean, you've heard his drumming, he's just one of those guys. And we talk a little bit about Dean's accomplishments in the show as well, why not? Now the catalyst for the show was simply because Kyle and I, well we're mates, we get along, we've been exchanging messages over social media and I invited him on because yeah, he's an interesting guy to talk to, he's got some perspective on things, he toured with Cradle of Filth whilst he was in Wednesday 13, so stick around and hear his thoughts on that and elsewhere it's just two music fans exchanging ID, ideas, ideas, ideas. So here he is, Kyle Castronovo. How's things going? Oh, it's going good, man. How you doing? Good. Love your t-shirt. <laughs> Thanks <you> very much. <laughs> Love that sense of humor, mate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What's been happening, mate? You've been busy preparing for something or working on anything in particular? Uh, just mainly writing right now. Um, uh, just been working on that black metal stuff as i was telling you and uh it's been really fun i've just been kind of doing it on my own and yeah that's the best way to do it isn't it (laughs) but just starting off writing everything yourself i know you're multi-instrument you're a multi-instrumentalist like your father is but being able to bring your own vision to life with your (laughs) own feet through your own fingers and then potentially bringing some other people in after the fact i just just spoke you might have listened to it already but um jamie or astanu is his stage name from Dimmu Borgir, and mm-hmm. uh, he did something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with the Lord Chaos album, mate, so you might have something very special like that up your sleeve soon. Oh, wow, man, that would be awesome. <laughs> Thank mm. you very much. Mm. But that was a great interview, by the way. I found your stuff through the um, the Stuart Ansys, like, uh, podcast you did, and I was just blown away, man. Thank you so much for making that happen. That was so cool. Yeah, that's fine, brother. Yeah, no, thank you very much for for giving me that very positive feedback. It was, you know, that chat, as you probably heard, that was unscripted, that conversation with Stuart. We'd been talking to each other a little bit, but I was going to edit it. Like I I had to put this introduction in there so that people didn't think it was meant to be like that. It was just he and I talking, Mm -hmm. but I listened back to it and there was something magical about it. So I thought, fuck it, I'm just going to give it to everybody. Oh, absolutely. It was just like you guys were just hanging out and just – it was so cool, man. Like I loved it. It was yeah. great to get all that information. Cause you know, growing up a fan as well, like I never found anything on him like at all. And then even when YouTube came around and it was just nice to, you know, hear everything that he had to say. It was so cool. Yeah. it's It was really, it still is a, uh, it, it still is disappointing on their behalf, these guys like Stu, who's no longer with us, of course, rest in peace, but that 
Well, these yes. so-called credible mastheads, these metal injections and decibels that nobody had thought to reach out to him and actually have a conversation with him, no matter what Danny says. And I know you've toured with the band, so you've probably got a, a positive relationship mm-hmm. with Danny. But, you know, at, yeah. at what at what point was somebody, apart from me, going to get curious and say, hey, let's have a chat about this stuff? It just hadn't happened in 20-odd years or so, I mean, in the 20-odd years or so since you well, left the band. Yeah, it's that just blew my mind. I never knew why. Like, so talented, man. So talented. That guy was incredible. Hmm. What was your what's your take on the band? You've you've seen them up close and personal when you toured with them on Cryptoriana. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, man, that was the best tour I've ever been on. Like everybody was so friendly and so nice. And it was kind of a dream come true for me being a fan since I was fuck maybe eight years old (laughs) and it was just it was wonderful to see that show every night like i couldn't believe it and danny was very friendly with me and it was just awesome like i had a great time and you know made some friends and got along with their crew very well and everybody was just super nice and accommodating and Mm. it was a dream come true man really cool yeah i I think the issue stems from the situation where he's not honouring previous band members' contributions. And in Stuart's case, he actually wrote Cruelty and the Beast alongside of Les and Nick. You've listened to the interview, so you know all about it. You heard it from the horse's mouth. And I, st- I just couldn't, mm-hmm. I still can't understand why he elected to go a route where he he didn't honour the band members' contribution in the reminting, the uh, remistressing process, if you like, of Cruelty mm-hmm. and the Beast. And it's, it reads more or less like kind of like Danny was at the head of the table and these musicians just sort of did their thing. And But Danny ultimately is the chief architect mm-hmm. and it's just not the case. So I understand that there's – look, he's a businessman. He does a lot of stuff with Des these days from Cold Chamber and, and Des is a fantastic guy, by the way, and a lot of people have tried to sort of mm-hmm. suggest – through messages to me that maybe Des has got a little bit to do with that situation. And I don't believe that for a minute because I've I get a vibe from people and I've only had one half an hour conversation in this situation in our setup here with Des, but I just don't believe for a minute mm-hmm. that he would motivate Danny to ignore previous band members' contributions. I just don't think Des is that way inclined. Yeah. Like I actually Des managed the band that I was previous previously in, and again, yeah, oh. just never had any, you know issues along the way of like with him either like it was Mm. yeah it's strange man it's like you know there's so many different you know points of view and things like that it's just yeah it's it's a tough one like that's a definitely a tough situation um yeah yeah Yeah. have you got any any insider understanding of like why uh why richard might have left the band he's been he's been up front with it to an extent but then Someone, some other mm-hmm. podcast got to him before I did because we've had exchanges and I've spoken to Richard before for the show. He politely declined my request mm-hmm. to come on the show. But I listened to the one podcast mm-hmm. he did and these guys were fools, okay? They didn't get to the bottom of the information, you know, the matter of the, the facts of the matter, if you like. And I think that was his one, one his one, not attempt, sorry, I'm trying to find the right word. It was the one time he actually said to the public, this is what I'm going to share about this situation because he said to me point blank, mm-hmm. he's not talking about it again. And I believe him. So it's mm-hmm. a shame. But did, do you, did you see anything yeah. on that tour that might have led you to believe that, you know, Richard was uh, not going to stick around? Actually, no. Um, that was the thing is like that I think we did – 
want to say five or six weeks with them, but it was like so quick that, you know, everybody was actually getting along. I didn't notice anything strange at all. Like it, it was, yeah. So it was, you know, it's just one of those things like, you know, <laughs> you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I do, mate. They, they they can just get get along. Oftentimes what happens is is uh, we've all been in football teams or whatever it might be or bands or bloody bands are the mm-hmm. best example. We've all been in bands of people we don't oh, like yeah. yet, we put up with, okay? And you put on mm-hmm. a brave face and you do what you got to do to get by and, yeah, that's just the nature of being in bands oh, yeah. or any group activity. That's the business, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> What can you tell me about your your black metal project then? Uh, Right now, it's just in the infant stages. It's just writing and just, like I said, I'm just basically doing everything on my own. And, you know, uh, there's not really many people to work with or where I come from. So it's just kind of just been on my lonesome, but it's been fun. Like, I've never done a project like this before. And, you know, black metal's always been a passion of mine and, um, so it's kind of fun to kind of explore that avenue of things and, you know, getting to do it by myself is just, just as fine. So, I've, you know, no complaints out of me. I think it's really fun. But, um, right now I got about maybe seven or eight songs like written, but like, you know, they're still like mixing and mastering and all that fun stuff. So mm. yeah, it's kind of in its infant stages right now. You you strike me obviously your father. I'll mention it in the introduction anyway. But uh, obviously your father, Dean Castronova, one of the greatest rock and metal drummers in history. But you must be very well connected, though. You, but you must be very well connected, though. So when you say that there's not many people around, you talk about geographically or just in general. You've chosen to you know uh, stick with certain people or what have you. Uh, just- um, mainly just the area I'm in. Like I live in Oregon. And there's not much of like a metal scene here. Well, there used to be a long time ago, but it's just kind of faded out, I suppose, especially with, you know, just how the music industry is nowadays. It's just, I don't know if people just lose interest or what have you, but um, it's kind of, I don't know. At this point, I'm kind of preferring it on my own at the same time. It's really weird, but <laughs> it's kind of yeah. that weird fine line, you know? As you as you get older, you start to trust in your own vision a lot more. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man, one hundred percent. Like, I, you know, I've written songs for bands, and you know, or I've tried to in previous bands and stuff, and you know, it never works out. It's just, it's kind of nice to just have that freedom, you know. Yeah, yeah. Is it um, symphonic or is it a bit uh, a bit more darker? Uh, it's definitely some fun yeah Yeah, that's kind of that's where my heart's always been as far as the black metal sound like i love the raw stuff don't get me wrong i love the dark thrones and mayhems and all that stuff but um i don't know just something about the keyboards and the atmosphere like it just always just struck me as just just over the top and awesome i just love it i love that sound and you know, like even, you know, the Cradle albums that you guys are talking about and um, kind of like Limbonic Art, Obtained Enslavement and all these bands that I just grew up loving. And that's just kind of the sound I always wanted to try out. And it's been fun. So I love messing around with keyboards, too. That's always a blast getting a new plug in or something or a new keyboard, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah. What does your dad think yeah. of the stuff you're playing? Um, I don't think he's heard this project yet, actually, but um, he actually loves some black metal stuff too, man. He's a definite metal head at heart, like going way back from when he was a kid. Like, <laughs> so I'm sure he would love it though. <laughs> well, he did, he did those great, that great album with James Murphy back in year, nine, year 2009 and 99. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to get James yeah, on the show, Murphy, but he doesn't yeah. bloody read his messages. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, what I'll was your to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you could, look honestly, if you could, if you could give me the cosign, that'd be great. He's uh, he's he's played in so many killer albums. You know, obituary, cancer. Mm. That guy's uh, a bit of a you know three to seven degree. What do you know? The Kevin Bacon, the degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's a bit like that with James Murphy. So a bit like that with your dad too, actually. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I don't know the last time my dad's talked to James, but I know they they had a lot of fun doing those records together. That record, I mean, um, yeah, yeah. These James is a beast, though. I loved his work with Cancer, like one of my favorite albums. <laughs> yeah, it's a killer album. Yeah. Do Do you have a, a particular favorite album that your father's appeared on? Ooh. Let's see. <laughs> There's a few. Um, the first one that comes to mind that I absolutely love is the uh, the first GZR record, the Plastic Planet record. Yeah, great album. They had uh, Burden from Feedback. I just, mm. you know, that heavy stuff was just so much fun. And he had a lot of freedom to just do whatever, just go off and just have fun. And Geezer loved it. And it was just great. Like, I, a lot of cool stories that he's told me about that session. So, mm. It was fun. Yeah. I, uh, as you know, I spoke to Michael. Is it Beanhorn or Beinhorn? Either way, same person we're talking about. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, uh, I, I remembered the two albums, the two, I had certainly had the Cocophony album back in the day and then <laughs> had, had some awareness of yeah. uh, his work on Osmosis. But the first album, believe it or not, that actually recognised your father's playing as being, as being fantastic was the whole album. Celebrity skin. No way. You couldn't believe it. Because back then they used to play that stuff on the radio. We had a radio station down here called Triple J that used to play a lot of that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they played the shit out of that album. And I remember thinking, wow, it's got such a great groove. Because <laughs> your father actually sets the tone for that album. That's why that is such a different animal compared to Live Through This, the album before it. Right. Yeah. That, that yeah. one was an interesting one, man. <laughs> That's for sure. That was, um, as, as for, from the stories I've been told anyway, like that was a very interesting session. Not in a bad way. Just like it was, everything was so quick and, you know, get in, get yeah. out kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, Ken Mary from Fifth Angel and Alice Cooper at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Ken's yeah. great, man. Ken's a, Ken's a legend. Oh, I had a good chat to him only recently. And, uh, he fessed up. There have been some albums that he played on that he wasn't credited on, you know, the ghost thing. And I bet your father's played on tons of them, mate, yeah. and he's sworn to secrecy. No way. I had no idea. Yeah. he's. Uh, he didn't want to go into it too much, and he said there wasn't any prominent names. But sure. my point is define prominent names. You know, I know Journey's an extremely prominent name, but uh, when you think mm -hmm. about all these albums where they have drummers, and we both know, as you well know, how hard drumming can be to get it right in the studio. 
And if you don't have somebody, well, yeah. <laughs> you have somebody that's great on stage and in the live scenario because mm-hmm. they're full of energy, they're a Tommy Lee type of character. Yeah. But then it's a technical thing. It's a mechanical thing in the studio, isn't it? But you've got to maintain the groove and the feel at the same time, like a feel oh, situation. But if you, that's that's why drummers get replaced so often and that's why the, those urban legends are out there. It's very true, man. Yeah, it's, you know, there's that red light fever thing, you know, like some people just freeze and I've, I've done it a few times, you know, uh, where you just kind of have to get into the groove of things and, you know, it's a normal thing, but like, like even osmosis, for example, my dad had to find a groove to get into, like from what, you know, Michael has said and my dad has said, it took a minute, you know, to kind of find I don't know the right feel or the right groove, you know, essentially like just to get into it. But yeah. Yeah. Once you find the pocket, you can groove, but if it takes a while to get there because the other musicians aren't accepting or not sure or something else going on. I mean, I think that's what separates your father from so many others is that he can step into any situation. He can do what the band wants and it sounds like it fits, but he can also Mm -hmm. sound like himself. Yeah, th- dude, thank you so much, man. That really means a lot. I know when he hears this, he's going to melt. So. <laughs> <laughs> is he, uh, do you know if he's still working with Journey? Yes, he is. Fantastic. Yeah. Hopefully they come down here, mate. It'd be great to see the group of your father playing. Yeah. I can't remember the last time he mentioned he was in Australia with them. It's a long time ago. It was with Deep Purple, I believe. Oh, it was yeah, a while ago, ago, though. Yeah. yeah. It's ages ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And are you, what about you, mate? Apart from the studio project you're working on there, are you working with Wednesday 13 still? And is there any other projects on the horizon that people might be able to go along and watch you with? Um, right, as of now, no, I'm not with Wednesday anymore. Um, no bad blood or anything. Those guys are like family to me. Like it was just one of those instances where, you know, the touring was kind of taking its toll. And um, unfortunately, I, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was 2019, which was, you know, we had the tour with Cradle early 2019. And then the rest of the year we toured with Static X. And right before the, or right, actually in the middle of the Cradle tour, my grandmother passed away. Sorry. And um, I had to leave. Thank you, man. Um, I had to leave the uh, tour for a few days. And uh, Wednesday brought his old drummer in to fill in for me, which was really nice. He's a great guy. His name is Jason. And um, then I came back, finished the tour off. And then in the middle of the European tour with Static X, my grandfather passed away too. And I think just the combination of that and not being able to be home for my family was, you know, I got to leave for that few days, but I think knowing that I, you know, was in Europe or, you know, somewhere else, like, you know, just away from home was just kind of taxing on me. And that's kind of the main reason I wanted to step out. Like the touring was just kind of getting a little much at the time. Mm. And um, so just, you know, wanted to kind of stick with family for a while and, Understandable. That kind of stuff. So it wasn't like a bad situation or anything. I still talk to those guys and I love them to death. Like Wednesday had given me one of the greatest opportunities ever just by being his drummer. And I'm forever in debt to that guy, man. He's a brother. Mm. Did you work on any of his studio albums? I did. Yeah, I did uh, his three um, nuclear blast releases. Nice. Yeah, I've interviewed him on that that cycle. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I did those three. It was two albums and an EP. And um, I think he's with Napalm now, if I'm not mistaken. Right, okay. Yeah, they sort of go back and forward, don't they? Uh, I know Cradle have done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of bands are switching over there too. And, you know, like everybody from Roadrunner went to Nuclear. Now everyone from Nuclear is going to Napalm. It's like, jeez. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the independent majors, I call them. They're the ones you have to be on if you want to get your music out to. Sure. If you're from Denmark or whatever and you want to get your music Absolutely. into Australia or what have you, it's just what's got to happen. Otherwise, you're competing with everybody else on social media and uh, – it might be equal opportunity, but there's like a million bands out there. So how the hell do you get yourself heard unless you're on one of these majors? Dude, I know. It's insane. Like, even when we were on Nuclear Blast, it almost felt like we were kind of a small fish in a ginormous pond. <laughs> like, it was like, it was crazy, man. There's just so many bands and just, you know, it was nuts. But it was, mm. it was great, you know? I mean, just... I'm very thankful I got to say that, you know, I got to play on some Nuclear Blast releases, though. Like, some of my favorite records came from that label. It's nuts, but... Mm. <laughs> have, have you had any other opportunities presented to you to like a, another, not Wednesday specifically, but things like <laughs> that, like, as say, Jonathan Davis or management or someone like that, if you're connected to Des, have any of these people reached out to just scope if you're available for a tour or a recording? Uh, no, not really, man. Um, when I, it was kind of weird. Like when I left, it wasn't really announced or anything. It just sort of happened. Hmm. Like, um, that wasn't pre-planned or anything. It's just, um, neither Wednesday nor I just said anything. (laughs) It just kind of happened, but, um, no, no one's reached out or anything, but I'm fine with that. I'm, you know, loving being at home. Like I said, it was, you know, that one, that one year just kind of kicked me in the ass. So it was, uh, it's kind of nice to just recharge the batteries a little bit and kind of start from scratch in a way. So that's what this black metal project is all about for you. It's about reforging yourself in through this project. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, keeping the creativity chops up to date and, you know, just, yeah, I just kind of keeping my chops up as much as I can. And I've been also, um, I actually signed a, um, like a, what would you call it? Like a publishing deal with this company out of the UK called Wixen. And basically what I do is I'll just write random songs, no matter what style, just whatever comes into my head, just to stay creative and I'll send it to them. And, you know, basically they distribute it to a band or an artist that might need a song. You know, (laughs) it's just one of those things, which has kind of been fun. It's, an extra way to stay creative and try out new things. Like, you know, there's some songs that I've written that are like very Oasis oriented and there's some thrash stuff that's like very Megadeth oriented or, you know, I listen to all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of nice to just let it flow. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Megadeth, I, I caught up with David Ellison last week or the week before, but I actually saw oh, nice. Kings, of, Kings of Thrash last night and Jeff Young, my God. He is a monster, just an incredible player. Oh, please do. Yeah. Like Megadeth has always been honestly my favorite thrash band. Like I mm. the musicianship is just ridiculous. <laughs> like, I just adore like especially like the eighties and nineties Megadeth. Like it's just, you know, insane. 
right? Yeah, it's of so, course, so, Marty. And <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, so, yeah. around about cryptic writings for me. That was the last album I, I got into sure, I really yeah. loved and Risk was garbage and then The World Need, Needs a Hero had some moments but it still wasn't quite there yet and then after that it sort of became something different, didn't it? And uh, that chat that I had with David Ellison is quite insightful, particularly around the system as failure oh, yeah. there, about what happened there on the business front. And uh, Oh, wow, i got to check that out. I haven't yeah, heard have that. A, have a bit of a listen to it because you, you you listen to my interview, so you know that I ask the questions whether or not people answer is another thing, you know. Oh, for so sure. <laughs> I'll ask the questions, mate. I'll try to find where <laughs> no, all the bodies are buried. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, man, like that was um my I know my dad did a tour with Megadeth in ninety-five. They uh when my dad was with Ozzy that was in South America. So he kind of goes back with some of those guys, and it was, you know, nice to reconnect with Marty and things like that, too. Yeah, great. Yeah. Wow. And um, sorry, you're up. Oh. Uh, yeah, I think there's just a bit of a connectivity issue there. Can you hear me? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, just sort of went I'm slow for a bit. <laughs> oh, all right. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, what about... If if you were given an opportunity, or someone reached out to you, like a like a, I'm just I'm just using Corey Taylor or Jonathan Davis as a, as an example, would you take that opportunity if it meant doing the doing an album and then going on say an eighteen month touring cycle on and off? You know, not a straight block of eighteen months like what Metallica did, Circa Black, but you know what I mean. You, you're obligated oh, to yeah. perform on the road, yeah. Yeah, man. At this point, like I I do miss touring a lot. Like I, you know, with Wednesday, I did think five years straight of just like you know on and off of course not just straight but like i do miss it you know there's moments where i do miss it it's just you know after losing two grandparents in a year i just kind of went well i gotta pump the brakes a minute you know yeah and you know, wednesday's a working machine like you know being that he's working with des and stuff like that it's just non-stop hmm. like you know, there's a lot, lot of touring that that guy does. <laughs> I just needed oh, yeah. to step away, just kind of catch my breath a little bit. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Well, you came down here with it. I know that because I was looking through your Instagram and there's a photo of you there <laughs> in front of the Opera House. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I got all touristy for a minute, man. It was fun. <laughs> How was, uh, which city did you enjoy playing in the best, do you think? Uh, and that's tough, man. Um, I know I've been there at least two or three times, but each time, like, I, it's always surprising. Like, each show's kind of different. Like, especially the first two times, it was just us. And then this, uh, the last time I was there was with Static X, so the crowds were much bigger with Static X, obviously. So mm. that was pretty fun. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I always enjoyed Melbourne. I always enjoyed Sydney. Um yeah, it was a lot of it's such a blur too, which is really odd. Like mm. it all happens so fast and then we're home, you know. Oh, that's understandable when you're on a world tour like that. All the cities can merge into in one country can sort of merge into one because we might think there's a well, I certainly don't think there's that much difference between, say, people from Brisbane and Melbourne, but uh people in those cities probably think can, can think that there's a lot of uh, nuance. There is some nuance there, but there are big differences. But when you're from outside the country and you tour, it'll probably feel the same. Well, it, it does and it doesn't. It's it's just like, it's one of those things, man, where it's like, um, I don't know. Like the, like the first time I was there, I was so doughy-eyed, you know, and just like 
bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know, I was so excited to be there. And it was, every time was a blast, obviously, but, you know, the more you tour, the more tiring it gets to even doing a U.S. run, like a full one. By the end of it, I was just like... <laughs> Oh yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I might have been able to do it when I was younger in my twenties. I certainly couldn't do it now in my mid forties. It's just no way. Man, I'm almost thirty three, and like I was touring, you know, starting at like twenty five, and it kicked my ass. <laughs> like, yeah, is insane. But it was worth it. You know, it was always a blast. But yeah, you've got to be made for it. I think because it's. Mm -hmm. uh, I talk about this on the show, and you've probably heard me talk about it this way, but. When you're a professional musician, you're really a professional tourist because you see more of yeah. <laughs> airplanes and bloody, you know, departure lounges than what you do stages half the time. No kidding, man. Yeah, like I, it always it was always a bummer because I remember my grandmother would always ask me because she loved to travel. Like, did you get to see this? Did you get to see that? It's just like I got to see the bus and the venue. That was about it, <laughs> you know. Like. For us, like, uh, especially in the U.S., like with Wednesday and stuff, we kind of, um, we'd have one tech with us and the rest of it was kind of left up to us, you know, setting up our own gear and things like that. And other, you know, countries and stuff, it was different. But, you know, there's just no time to do anything, you know. Yeah, no, no, you, you're pretty much, I know, I know the Megadeth guys are traveling down to Sydney or Melbourne tonight. And then and after that, they're going to the other other city, whatever that might be. Uh, yeah. When, when do you get an opportunity to see the sights and hear the sounds? It just doesn't happen. Yeah, like that's why I was so thankful I got to see the Opera House just that one time. Like I'd been there three times, but finally I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm going." <laughs> do you find even in and amongst all of that, it's you having to travel from one city to another, usually consecutive days? Are there any places where you think you'd say, "Oh wow, I think I got a bit of culture shock there"? That was a really different part of the world. Um, I never had that feeling, oddly enough. Like, I was always just so excited. It just, I don't know. I never really got that feeling, strangely enough. <laughs> mm. It's a smaller world these days compared to when I was a kid, too. You could only have to go to New Caledonia, which is just just off Australia, which is a French territory and very French. Mm -hmm. And that felt like you're in France back in those days. Oh. Now, I haven't been there in a long time, but uh, I couldn't imagine especially because my wife's family or uh, her mother's family are in the Philippines. And uh, I, I, I couldn't imagine where I'd have to go to get culture shock these days. It'd probably be out of Mongolia or something. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. it's uh, We're all sort of, courtesy of the internet, we can have a look at uh, God knows how many documentaries in all of these cities out there and these uh, these places and stuff, and you feel like you're right there. You don't have to go there. Yeah, it's insane, man. Like the the internet is a blessing and a curse. You know, <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's one definitely. of those things. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what do you remember about playing uh, playing that tune? I can't remember what tune it was, but there's footage of it available on YouTube. You played a couple of songs, I think, with Journey. Oh, I just did separate ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was that like? Uh, that was a total blackout moment, man. That was the most nervous I'd ever been in my entire life. <laughs> like. I just remember getting up on the riser and it was done. Like it was nuts. Like I've never seen that many people before. Like, but, I mean, obviously watching my dad, it was one thing, but playing in front of that many people was like, what? <laughs> like I, I just, it was such a blur. It went so, it went by so quick. I just remember like 
I felt super dehydrated. <laughs> I was like, where's the water? But um, yeah, that was fun though, man. I look back in that video and that was a really special moment because my dad had been working with Neil and the Journey guys like on and off since 89. So those yeah. guys have been like family to our family for years and they saw me like grow up and it's just one of those things it was just a really special moment and that was a blast man that was really cool <laughs> yeah what did they say to you in the green room afterwards or in the backstage area afterwards well uh i definitely got a lot of hugs and they were like oh dude that was so fun thank you so much and it was really cool man it was just like a really special moment that i'll never forget that was awesome mm. Yeah, yeah, you've had a few moments like that. So it's always great yeah. to have those memories and have them in the kit bag. Absolutely, man. Like getting to play Download and Bloodstock and things like that were just like, I never thought I'd do that in a million years. <laughs> hmm. What's your what, what music are you listening to? I know you're creating black metal, but is there any bands or any styles of music you turned on to at the minute? Um, Man, I jump all over the place, but primarily I'm pretty stuck in the 90s. <laughs> um, to be honest, I, I couldn't tell you anything about new bands or anything. Like, I, it's fun. Like, usually the bands that I listen to growing up, I'll listen to their new albums, but like new bands, I'm kind of not as privy to. That might be kind of strange, but I don't know. Um, uh, I, I listen to pretty much damn near anything, man. If it's good, it's good, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah just pretty much like anything from like, you know, Oasis to fucking mayhem. Like I, I don't, I don't care the, you know, Wu-Tang and just every, anything, man. I love it all. If it's a good song, I'm all about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Spotify can throw up some very interesting suggestions from time to time too. I might be driving home from a gig myself after playing. Mm -hmm. Like tonight, I might do it, and I might start with um, I don't know Fifth Angel or what have you, and uh, it starts right. putting on all of this stuff, and I have to go back into the playlist and say, God, what was that song there? And the amount of bands that even I've never heard of before, and uh, oh, yeah. that have got Wikipedia pages, for example. So they're not insignificant. They're bands that people some at some point were signed to a label. Yeah, like it was in the eighties, and they had some sort of a following, and it's just whether or not they decide to re kick off their career again in the way that Ken and uh, the guys in Fifth Angel have decided to do. Right? Yeah, man. It's like, yeah, it's just tough. It's just like it, the you know the industry wasn't isn't what it was, and it's almost like I it sucks because I got into it at the wrong time. I was born way too late. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see the Catman tattoo on you there. Have you have you met Peter before? Yeah. What's that? Have you met Pete before? I have never met Peter. I've met Gene and Paul. That's it. I've always wanted to meet Peter and Ace. I've 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 met Eric and Tommy. They're great. Tommy's an Oregon boy too. He's from he's like an hour up north, or at least he used to be. And um, God, my dad knew him from like the black and blue days, like way back when. Hmm. But um, yeah. yeah, it's always been a dream of mine to meet Peter, though, man. Like that, Kiss was my first band, thanks to my dad for sure, because Kiss was like his Beatles, as he would say. Mm. Like that, his favorite band ever. <laughs> so I was pretty much like weaned on Kiss and Alice Cooper and, you know, artists like that, very theatrical stuff. <laughs>
Yeah, great. Yeah, I've done. I've I've not met him, but I've spoken to him for the podcast a couple of years ago. Now, 2017, when he did his farewell shows, he did a show in Melbourne and a show in New York because per head per capita, apparently Melbourne is their strongest territory. Kiss's strongest territory. And, no kidding. I had no idea. Yeah, they 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 were absolutely enormous in Australia. It's hard to describe how big Kiss were throughout the late seventies and eighties in Australia. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was like the Beatles. Actually, they would, they talk about it, and you see the footage of the the interviews and just trying to get from place to place back in those days. And there were people mobbing the roads outside town halls to try to see them and stuff. And this is when Eric Carr was in the band because we were always about back in those days. We we're about five years behind what goes yeah. on in the United States. So I think they were as surprised as what we would be now to think how popular they were back then, but they've got a huge fan base here, man. Oh, dude, that makes so much sense, though, because now that I think about it, I think I've seen documentaries where they did press in Australia and, like, introducing Eric Carr. I think Ace was, like, shit house hammered and it was hilarious, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that it's brilliant. <laughs> I, I have, but it's it, I have, but I got to say, it's hard to tell the difference between sober ace and bloody drunk ace. It is, it? it is. I love the guy to death. I've never met him. I'm I'm a huge fan, but yeah, I get what you're saying. That's yeah. I'm not sure laugh. I'd interview him. Yeah, he's he'd be, yeah, he's laughing. I, I think Eddie Trunk does the best interviews with him because he knows how to handle him. But oh, I'm not sure I'd survive an interview with him because it would just go off the rails fairly quickly because that's what they mm-hmm. sound like. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie is Eddie Trunk seems to have like a really close relationship with him. I think they go way back or something like that. Like um yeah, there's some connection yeah. there, managerial connection or something there. And I think he did Eddie I read Eddie's book, but I read a lot of books, you know, from Brian Slagle's book, which I'm reading at the minute. And uh oh, nice. yeah, that's okay. That could be I'm a writer, as you probably know from listening to this. Yeah, uh, I've ghostwritten books for people before and I with the greatest of respect, because Brian's an absolute legend, so absolutely no shade here when I say this, but I think he really needed to get a ghostwriter in on that one. Gotcha. Because I read yeah. it, and it's like, okay, I think I know what you're trying to do here, but there's another way you could have framed it and also probably didn't go deep enough on this topic here because it sort of skims the surface. Mm-hmm. And and books are all about the gosses, you know, like like what Peter's book is all about. It's uh, right. your just honest feelings. Tell- yeah, and that's what. But people want that, man. They want. They want. It's not about the dirt. They want to know what happened, and they want to know what your feelings and thoughts are. Looking back on that moment in time, and Peter's book was very well written. As um, Mark um, Eglinton, you know, the Scottish ghostwriter, he's probably the best in the business, man. He could have done a great yeah, job yeah. for Brian on that. Oh one, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. So. That, I, yeah, Peter's book was amazing, man. Like just the opening, you know. of you know, the the whole earthquake thing that happened and it's just like, wow, it just got heavy right off the bat. I mean. Yeah, whoever yeah. wrote that knew how to set the – whoever wrote that was an expert in, in tone because, to your point, the way it started and it never let up, did it, that book? It was just full throttle all the way through. And Absolutely. Rex, Rex's book is a bit – Rex from Pantera's book is a bit like that too, but he's tried to distance himself from it since because some of the comments are uh, – yeah, he gets asked about them a lot, so he's trying to say that he was forced or coerced into saying them these days, and that's just not yeah. true. Mark has gotcha. had to go onto Twitter and, and point out that that's just not the case. But you know, mm. I'll never, I'll never be as popular or as uh, I would never want to be in the public eye in the same way that bloke like Rex is and have to answer all of those questions about things that I might have said here or there. God knows, I get it a little bit with the podcast, but it's easy enough to defend or to talk to because 
I'm just asking questions and then providing an opinion, and that's what anything will ever be. I don't I've never made anything up, and I don't think anybody that's been on the show has ever made anything up because there's no bloody right. point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and Pete's when I if, if you have a chance, have a listen to that chat that I had with Pete because uh, there, there's some insight there, but it wasn't. It's it's not like a long form conversation. It's about twenty minutes or so, so I had to sort of stick to keep it tight. Mm-hmm. which meant that you couldn't sort of go outside of it. Plus, I think it, outside of the reason, the catalyst for the chat, which is the show in Melbourne. But he also had done such a great job explaining things in his biography that I didn't feel like as I needed to sort of go there either. Right, right. I, I, I see what you're saying, yeah. I'll definitely check that out, man. Like, Peter's, like I said, is one of my biggest influences. Just like as a kid, him and my dad were kind of the two reasons I wanted to play. Yeah, anyone else that really sort of inspired you when you were growing up? Oh, man, that list is uh, Neil Peart, uh, Nick Menza. uh, Loved Raymond Herrera, Joey Jordison, uh, Nick Barker, of course. uh, So many, man, the list goes on. Like, so many different styles, you know, that a lot of it, you know... um, like I said, my dad kind of weaned me on a lot of these cool bands and stuff like that. Like he was the first person to introduce me to like Machine Head and Fear Factory. And that just opened the floodgates for me, like loving metal at that point. Yeah, you, your your father could have easily have played those Fear Factory albums. I know he did a he did an album or he did a song on an album there. But yeah, he did one song on the Genexus record. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They've been a bit hit and miss, I think. Uh, with, <laughs> you know, Dino was in the band and then he was out of the band. Now he's back in the band. And there's there's two albums mm-hmm. out there that he didn't even play on. And yeah, uh, kind of got yeah. confused. And like um, after Burden left, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, no disrespect to anybody. It's just, you know, being a Fear Factory fan and I, you know, I know Burton a little bit. It's just, you know, one of those things. Like, wish he was still there, but I get it. I never liked Dino up until I spoke to him. I always had a, a perception of him courtesy of his comments in the media that he was very much into self-promotion and pitching things at a certain angle. And I'm old enough to remember in the lead-up, the promotion and the lead-up to Demanufacture. And uh, mm-hmm. I've got to say, I was disappointed once I got it. I thought it was a great album, but it was nowhere near what Dino was talking it up to be at the time. And... Mm. And uh, when I spoke to him, we could talk about all of it, maybe not that particular topic, but yeah. he, he managed to demystify so much for me. I came away thinking, no, he's actually, a, he's actually a very credible bloke who's just, this is his career and this is the way he wants to manage himself in that paradigm. Sure. Yeah, I totally get it, man. And he's one of the best writers, man. Like that guy, insane. I just love his style of the guitar playing. Like it's just awesome. Do you think he invented a style or do you think there are other people that sort of did the groundwork before him? You know, I, I kind of feel like he did in a way, man. Like, um, just the, a lot of the mechanical, like very, uh, tight, like, I don't know how to describe, I guess mechanical would be the best word to describe fear factory, but, um, just how everything was just so tight and like, you know, the chuggy, like, down-tuned guitars and stuff like that. Like, prior to that, I I don't remember everything being so, like, 
on the grid as far as like how tight the playing was, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. As a muser, yeah, you talk about the Pro Tools side of things or Premier Pro side of things. It's right, right. Yeah, you can you can hear it. I think that's that's another issue. It's it's. I liked obsolete the the album after mm-hmm. the manufacturer. I thought they went in a, a pretty cool direction there, but I did not like Digimortal at all. I thought it was too poppy. See, and, I loved like a lot of that stuff, but um, mm. is that's that's kind of my era though. That's kind of the stuff I grew up on, and you know, I was born in 1990, so a lot of the, you know, all that stuff was very new for me. And but I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I grew up in a really. I reckon I, I grew up in. If you could grow up post the seventies, to your point about us being sort of from out of place, and we would have thrived in a different era. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I was twelve years of age in nineteen ninety, so I saw the, I felt the shift from glam to there was a very very brief moment there where bands like Warrior Soul. Have you heard of them before? Brilliant. Oh, uh, Warrior. Yeah, Warrior Soul, Kings X. Mm-hmm. Primus, Faith No More ruled the roost. And then then the grunge thing, the alternative thing sort of smashed everything apart and the right. paradigm was sort of reset. And I, I was into music at the time when that all of that stuff happened and the bands that I got into from back then are probably still my favourite today, like Corrosion of Conformity, Jesus Lizard. They're the bands that sort of take me right back to those teenage years and make me feel that's like my home ground, if you like, that oh, stuff absolutely. there. And then I got into the black and the black and metal stuff afterwards, the black and death metal yeah. stuff afterwards, and but um, yeah, and and seeing Gen Gen two black metal expand the way it did. I was I remember when Nemesis Divina came out, thinking how magnificent it was, and oh the Lord, yeah, the Lord Chaos album and that stuff. I think think it was a good time to grow up because I was when I talk about things, I can talk about it from a first hand perspective of being a fan at that time and reading the interviews. Yeah. Yeah, man, that is a great time, honestly. Like, just granted, I was very young. I was exposed to a lot of cool stuff as a as a young one. But um, I get, I, I like I said, I think I got into Cradle when I was like eight or nine, maybe ten, like around wow. that era. And I know it seems kind of weird, but um, it's young. That's great, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. My parents were always really cool about that stuff. You know, they it wasn't like. Oh, you can't listen to that, you know, is the whatever. It was just one of those things. They were very, you know, understanding of what entertainment and music is and still are. So it, it wasn't much of an issue for me growing up. Like I was listening to a lot of shit that probably 10 year olds did not even get near until they were 20. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my daughter's my daughter's 10, and sometimes she'll ask for a Spotify play mix that'll be a black metal thing. And the, the first thing might be funeral uh, moon or something like that, you know, from mayhem mm-hmm. or something. And and you you sure. just you just go, okay, well that's that's it starts there. But I I I uh that music was the motivation behind that music was was very positive in my opinion. That's you know Morbid Angel and these other bands, same thing. Oh, I mean, I- these guys are just trying to create these enormous riffs and these great, these great songs. And yeah. The motivation behind the music is is very important. I can't stand all this this goddamn hip hop crap that's around these days. That's trying to indoctrinate and sexualize young girls. I think it's just revolting. Yeah, I agree, man. You know, it's it's funny how things have changed. Like, you know, when a song like WAP is in, like, you know, it's horrible. Whatever, mm. you know, and then. When I was a kid, like, you know, it was, it was, it was just so different. I don't know. It's just like so hard to explain. <laughs> I, I remember, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd listen to, you know, Satan Spawn, the Coca Demon, Deicide, yeah. and, and I'd read the lyrics, and I wasn't even I wasn't disturbed. But I used to get some shit from people at school because in a boarding house, you used to get called a Westie and all this sort of stuff because I was listening yeah. to heavy metal, but it didn't bug me that much. But uh, but then I think, well, this was stuff that was not deliberately satanic. It was stuff that had a satanic aesthetic, and it was deliberately provocative, definitely. But then sure. you look at this wet-ass pussy shit and you look at all the primary colours <laughs> that's then used in the video clip and it ain't aimed at 24-year-old girls. It's aimed at eight to preteens and stuff. And and these psychos that do these videos and these idiots that write these songs, mate, they've got to be they, – they've got to have some aspect of – like the social contract is for adults to be responsible around children yeah, and they, it, they're not honouring that. Mm-hmm. It's just things are just so different, man. Like I – you know, growing up, like, I remember if, like, you know, I couldn't show my grandma that I had, like, Cannibal Corpse records or anything like that because, like, you know, the covers or whatever. But now it's, like, everybody's so desensitized and nothing's that shocking anymore, it seems like. But, you know, the bands that we grew up loving, it, it wasn't, I don't want to say it was, like, shock for the sake of shock or anything, but it's just entertainment, at mm. the, you know, and like it was just for it was fun now it just seems kind of you know you look at it with a side eye a little bit yeah well i've long maintained that everything from chuck berry to marduk is just he's just good old-fashioned rock and roll it's just done different way mm-hmm. if they're using guitar bass drums and you've got a singer out the front that's rock and roll for me yeah. it doesn't matter how extreme you are it's all within that paradigm of rock music Oh, absolutely. Like I, you know, I've talked about Oasis a lot already, but you know, it's just, I don't know if you've seen their documentary that they put out. Like that was oh, one of the yeah. most real documentaries I've ever seen in my fucking life. <laughs> really? Why is that? Guys, what does it go into? It. <laughs> yeah. What did it, what was, what specifically about it? Did you, did you enjoy or what was noteworthy? Honestly, man, I think it's just the way they, carried themselves it's just every you know a lot of people mistake arrogance for confidence and you know and i didn't i didn't get arrogant vibes i got confident vibes like i was just like these guys just don't give a fuck (laughs) it's just crazy it was almost like the sex pistols in the 90s mixed with the beatles or something is you know the kind of you know what i mean and just uh, aside from the inner turmoil those guys have or had or what have you, um, man, they, I, I don't know. It's just some, some, the way they carried themselves. It was very reminiscent to me of like, you know, the sex pistols and things like that. Just that's kind of, if that makes any sense, I don't know. <laughs> Completely. I saw them in 98, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks before Metallica played. And I've got to say, they put in a better show than what Metallica did. No kidding. And, That's all- and I'm not a fan. I'm not an Oasis fan, but I'll, I'll always say if a show's good, it's good. It's if it's entertaining Absolutely. and there's crowd interaction and stuff. And I didn't. I don't think those guys are putting it on at all. I, I do think Liam is on the spectrum or something. There's something going on there because he's not. They got to label everybody, but he he hasn't changed. That's my point. Mm-hmm. He's been like that the entire time. It ain't an act, but it's very. He's a very unusual character at the same time. Yeah. Looking at his Twitter feed is some of the highlights of my week. It just cracks me up. Like, <laughs> yeah, love it. I don't know, but um, man, I, I have actually never seen Metallica live before. That's funny you mentioned that. Like, I, oddly enough, I was never really a huge fan. Same. 
Yeah, I get uh, shit I from the peanut gallery for that, but I, I don't like Metallica. Yeah. I'm not going to say, I, look, I had I Ride the Lightning and, I, yeah, I got into it through black like everybody else did, but then I went back and sure. got Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets and, and Justice, and they were Absolutely. the albums. But it was like a fire that burnt very quickly and then disappeared, and then it was back to Megadeth, <laughs> you know. So, oh, but the absolutely. the amount of fanboys that are out there, man, is just ridiculous. So if I if I I've posted <laughs> reviews of Metallica stuff, which as you can probably appreciate, isn't very complimentary. Mm. Uh, that that'll be the time when I've got to sort of watch the DMs and some of the comments. <clears throat> but oh, uh, wow, yeah, it's a Metallica fans, mate. But they're all. I tell you something, mate. They're always almost actually in every instance. Cowards using anonymous profiles or pseudonyms, and you, they, they've locked down their accounts, so they made them private or what have you. And uh, so they go and sh- they're shit posters, is what I'm saying. Yeah. They're just fanboys who are shit posters who <laughs> seem to simp for James Hetfield, which is just an odd scenario because they haven't written a bloody decent tune in decades. Well, yeah, and no disrespect to them whatsoever. Like I, you know, what they've done for music is just hands down, you know. You can't even touch it. Like it's it's amazing, like how you know what they've done essentially. And I, you know, mad respect to them and all that stuff. But just for some reason, it just never registered with me. It's like I said, you know, no disrespect to anybody in there, but I don't know. I just gravitated towards you know Dave Mustaine more, and you know, like some about Megadeth's music just always kind of struck a chord with me more than Metallica ever did. Yeah, same. The connoisseur generally does, particularly musicians, I find, uh, tend to be Megadeth fans as opposed to Metallica fans. It's not that they don't like Metallica, but the conversation is very similar to the one we're having here, whereas whereas Megadeth, generally speaking, have got long, far longer legs than music does because it's more intricate, it's more exciting. Sure. There's different chromatic and pentatonic sequences that are used in different ways, and Dave's right. very schooled on the guitar, so he knows how to write things in different modes. And then he had a very capable – I would never call David Ellison a supporting cast member because he's not. He's a co-founder of the band. And he's much, brilliant, man. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. There are other people that have come and gone, like Chris Broderick, oh, that have done a fantastic job. Yeah, everybody brought something amazing to the table. Like you were saying you just saw, you know – the Kings of Thrash thing, like Jeff Young is incredible player. And, you know, of course, Marty, I mean, that's goes without saying Marty and Nick are, you know, that's my Megadeth right there was that lineup in particular. Like, yes, I'm yeah. Loved it. <laughs> well, I think he did try to get it back together again. That's when Chris Adler came back on board, but uh, that's right. There's, yeah. There's financial considerations. Plus Marty's got his own career these days. He said, man, my dad actually just got in touch with him again. And that made me so happy. Like, you know, every, when he moved to Japan, they just kind of lost touch and, you know, things happen. People change numbers and, you know, <laughs> you know how it goes. But I'm so happy they're talking again, man. It's so cool. Do you think there's uh, off the record, of course, I'm not, you, we're just talking. You know, yeah, no people worries, listening, For people listening, we're just fucking talking for God's sake. So <laughs> please don't take anybody and say, hey, Kyle said it, so it's going to happen, you know. But, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> so do, do you think, does your dad, like, does it, if the opportunity came up, I'm asking you to speak on behalf of your dad here, but would he team up with Marty again? I, I'm sure he would. Um, just a matter of scheduling, I'm sure. but. Um, you know, Journey's got like a lot of plans for next year and things like that. And I know Marty's got, you know, everything going on, what he's going on, 
what he has going on. Sorry, I can't talk for some reason. <laughs> but um, man, I'm sure they would. I know my dad would love to. You know, if the timing's right, that would be awesome. But you know, it's one of those things. Let's you know, everybody's got something going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Marty's just just got such a a great great thing going on at the minute. Absolutely. And to bring other people in can sort of upset the apple cart because I, this is—I think this is part of the uh, the situation there with Danny and Cradle. I imagine I'm just thinking out aloud here, but mm-hmm. I wonder if he—I would have loved, and I would have travelled to London for this if he'd done a Cradle show and brought those original members back together because in 2017 they're all still around mm-hmm. and just put on one show for the diehards, people like you and I. With that lineup, and just maybe a quanda afterwards, a question and answer sort of session afterwards, and mate, you want people? Up. I would have paid a couple of grand for that on top of the, on top of the yeah, oh man, <laughs> absolutely, that would have been awesome. And yeah. you got to see that lineup, and I'm jealous, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for that memory, actually. In 1997, yeah. we saw them, and uh, uh, Nick was just Nick was just something else. That is just a beast of a drummer, man. My God. <laughs> and it's, you know, that guy can pretty much just play anything. It, it doesn't matter. It's not just like all blast beats or anything like that. That guy is just a machine. Yeah. Like, he and Stu, he and Stu together, man, are just the ultimate combination in that. that oh, yeah. Black and, and black and that, new woven. That, yeah. You know, those three, like, that was, you know, the lineup I grew up loving of course but you know like getting to tour with them and stuff and seeing that lineup as well obviously it's much different than you know back in the i've i can't even count how many times i've seen cradle aside from touring but there was usually a different lineup but the one with like richard and Lindsay and martin and uh, merrick and everybody that was fucking solid though that was really good it looked solid, yeah. I, maybe I'll talk to Marek one day. I've certainly oh, been asked if I could reach out to him. Yeah. The problem is, so mate, as you can appreciate after listening to my other chats, is I tend to go there and ask the questions, and I don't want to put somebody who's still in the band in a position where it might affect their employment. Yeah, that could always be touchy for sure. Like um, uh, going back to the Aussie thing, you know, that was kind of a, a similar, not similar, but like. It was a different situation than my dad was used to, you know, um, it was usually like a band thing. And, you know, Ozzy was like the first band that he joined where it was, you know, but it's obviously about Ozzy, of course. So it was like mm-hmm. a different thing. And, you know, that was kind of a gig where, you know, when Ozzy talk, you listen, you know what I mean? This <laughs> is like, if that makes yeah. sense, but. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It, it, but it's it, Sharon would churn through the musicians there too, as you know, and uh as mm-hmm. you well well know, no doubt. Yeah, it's it's uh Bob Daisley played with him for, for years and uh and wrote mm-hmm. those songs for years, and yet most people would oh. have no awareness of Bob Daisley's contribution towards his career. Oh man, that he is beyond brilliant. Like Bob Daisley, oh. Like what Stewart said in that interview, you'll never hear bass playing like that again. Like it's yeah. just that was one of a kind, man. Like just so on with the drums and just mm. in the pocket. Like Bob was just incredible. And 
my dad was fortunate enough to get to work with them even just for a little bit. Really? What was that? That was uh, at the beginning stages of the osmosis sessions. Um, it was before they brought um, Geezer and Zach back. It was uh, Steve yeah. I Bob Daisley. Yeah, it was too, at the beginning. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's so many lineups there that 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 Lee Curse like Bob Daisley lineup should have been there for a long time. It, it, yeah. it could certainly that was their gig. Absolutely, absolutely, and. I always loved the um, the '80s Aussie era too, man. Like I'm I'm a huge Jakey Lee fan, Same. and you know, it just his playing with something else. Like I still, you know, there's certain players that just have their own sound, and he's definitely one of them. And I feel like nobody talks about him enough. <laughs> you know, I'm sure yeah. they're maybe not hearing it, but. Yeah, I've tried to get him on the show, and whoever's running his social media has said, "Yeah, they'll get back to me." And this is a couple of years ago when Red Dragon Cartel was doing their thing, and it never, never really sort of materialised. And there's a ton mm. of questions there that I've already written for for my conversation with Jake because I, I I was very fortunate recently, quite unexpectedly, by the way, to catch up with Phil Susan, who's a legend of oh, yeah. being great. Bloke. Yeah, that guy, awesome man. He's super nice. I met him at the Nam show. He, uh, he and my dad played. Um, the Bonzo Bash together. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was just like a bunch of people getting together, playing Led Zeppelin songs. It was fun, and he was up there too. And Rudy Sarzo was there, and it's a bunch of Aussie alumni. <laughs> Rudy's the one guy. There's a couple of people I wouldn't interview. He's one of them. Really? You know that? Yeah. It's just my own perception or my own take on it. I wouldn't expect anybody sure. else to really sorry my wife keeps calling me and she'll oh no worries man. eventually no it's all good she'll be right i know what it's about it's all right it's nothing important <laughs> oh, <it shouldn't, laughs> unless my wife ever listened to this but she's she's uh you know about as far away from rock and metal i don't i don't even think she's listened to one of my episodes all the way through so <laughs> <laughs> she gets into rap and hip-hop and all the other bullshit as i call it because she goes to the, <laughs> those shows whenever they come through town and watches tlc and all that stuff i can't stand it so <laughs> <laughs> we're the odd, we're the odd couple in that way, that's for sure. Um, uh, no, wrong with that. What was I talking about? Yeah, Rudy Sarzo. Yeah, I've just listened to the stories Bob had to say. Like there was a, I don't know whether people can ever find these interviews again. So I'm going off my memory of my reading articles back in the day. But "Flying High Again" is a song that Bob wrote about Sydney, and that oh, really? baseline. Yeah, yeah. And there was another song. Sorry, it wasn't "Flying High." It was another song, uh, but it's got a prominent baseline at the beginning. And uh, I think it's off Diary of the Madman. Can't remember the name of the song now, but someone was giving praise to Rudy for playing that song. And Rudy was taking the praise right next to Bob Daisley. That was the story that I read. And I thought, that's, yeah. You know, Bob, Bob, Bob's taken a lot of hits through the years and you, you don't really like taking the hits from your fellow musicians. And I think, uh, you know, I'm only, I'm, I'm going from my memory of an article that I read, Bob was recounting that story. So, Mm-hmm. It's uh, you, you hear things like that, and it's like, oh, okay. So I, I just don't know whether he did anything that that prominent. I think he, I don't even think he played on those White Snake albums, did he? It was somebody else that played on the White Snake albums that he was on the video <laughs> licking the bass around. I just remember, like you know, obviously John Sykes and played on the big one anyway. But um, yeah, I can't remember if he did or not. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he didn't. I think that's the issue with Rudy is that I, I'm definitely not not knocking his ability to play bass. He's a great pick bass player. Or I think he mm-hmm. plays with the pick, doesn't he? He's got that that style anyway about him. And uh, 
might play with his fingers too on some of the tracks, but uh, yeah, he's just well, he's not a writer, so he hasn't didn't didn't get a writer's credit on those those magnificent albums that he ended up touring off the back of and building and, and getting a justifiably from the tours that he did with Randy, getting a great name for himself through. But uh, yeah, there's a couple of those stories that I've read out there, and I think well, maybe he's just lacks self awareness and doesn't realise what he's doing. There's always that, but I don't know. Yeah. I like Bob. Yeah, yeah, Bob's great, man. He's yeah, I've heard nothing but great things. You know, the the short time my dad did get to work with him, he had nothing but great things to say. Bob is such a good guy. You know, I used to talk to him when I was a young fella. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'd reach out to him on his website in like 2001 or something like that, and uh, mm-hmm. he'd, call, he'd call me, and then he'd just randomly call me after that just to talk music. That's how nice a guy he is. Wow, that's excellent, man. That's awesome. Yeah, because he lived in Sydney. I was living in Sydney at the time, and he was living in Sydney as well because he's from Sydney. So, he, oh, nice, uh, yeah, yeah. So he he's just an awesome, awesome human being, and uh, I'm glad that the rock and metal community has some awareness of the work that he's done. It's a bit, if you don't mind me saying, it's a bit like the work that your father's done. It's like people like mm-hmm. me, musicians. Your dad's your dad's an icon and a legend, and his name Thank is you, etched into stone permanently. But you just want people like your father and Bob to get that that prominence that they're so richly deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the thing, man, is my, you know, knowing my dad and stuff, like he just never really looked for that necessarily. He was just happy to be there. You know, it was just one of those things where just a happy go lucky guy just loves playing music. <laughs> oh, I can tell that. I love you. The other thing too, about your father is his voice. And Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it must be because your, your, your heritage is Italian, right? Is it? Is that my right in saying yeah. that? Yeah. I work with a bloke who's, a, you call him Australian Italian, you know, you're American Italian heritage. He's got Australian mm-hmm. Ita- Italian heritage. I think he's half Spanish, half Italian, but born here in Australia. But he's my drummer at the at the moment. Oh, nice. And, and he, he sings a lot too, but he's kind of got that Neil Diamond, Phil Collins voice going on and a bit of a different <laughs> thing. But he loves your dad's work too, man. We talk about your father's playing a lot. Well, dude, that's awesome, man. Really yeah. appreciate that. It says when my, like I said, when my dad hears this, he's just going to melt into a puddle. Like he, when people like compliment him, it's almost like he doesn't know what to do. He's just, you know, <laughs> he's just like, really? <laughs> yeah. It's always the best that don't, they don't, it's not that they don't understand that what they have is a gift, but they can be very uh, humble. I find people yeah. like your father about, about their great gift that they've got. Yeah, very much so, man. And, you know, it's just always been one of those things. That's just how he's always been. Like, forever. I mean, yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, fair enough. Mate, this has been a cool chat. I better get back to work, though, because it's the middle of the working day for me. So um, yeah, I, I, totally uh, get- I really appreciate you accepting the invitation, mate, because it's just been great oh, to talk dude. to you, talk shop and just interface, yeah. It's a honors over, over here, man. Like, I love your show and I love the podcast and thank you. <laughs> well, there you have it, ladies and gents. What a tremendous fella, Kyle Castronovo. We will certainly keep in touch. I'm very keen to hear his black metal project. Now, just a couple of points or one point in particular. Rudy Sarzo, it turns out, did actually play on an album from Whitesnake. You could have blown me over by touching me with a feather. Slip of the Tongue, 1989. Wow, so he did actually play on an occasional album here and there. It's mainly all Quiet Riot. Yeah, that's it. I'm going through the Wikipedia entry now. 
Wow, God, for a bloke who's got such a, a, a name synonymous with rock and metal bass playing, there's just not much there. And listen, I know that there are some fanboys out there, but you know, I don't give a shit. I have my opinions and that's what they are. They're opinions. And I really appreciate something else that so many of you listen up to this point. After the, in the outro to the Phil Anselmo chat that was posted, I mentioned that Rex Brown from Pantera is a bit of a prick because that was my experience with him. And a lot of people commented and messaged me and nobody was being rude or anything like that, but that didn't really surprise me that people were messaging me about it. It was more that people had listened up to the outro. So I really appreciate you do that because I've got some news to share with you. Look, those who know, know, but those who don't, I've written a book, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. It can be all yours if you click on the link in the banner on my website. You'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. Do or don't download a sample. But if you do purchase, please do hit me up because I want to thank you personally. And on that note, there is some more information to share with you about the book. But before we get to that, I need to bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of this Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he, he was very you know very open-minded and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had phil campbell from motorhead discusses what it takes 
to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.